Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 82 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, and any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choosing. Joining me today, making a return appearance, is my good friend from BackBodyDrop.com, Ian Hamilton. Ian, how are you today, sir? Hey, Larry. Who asked this? <laughs> I um, did. That's yeah. all that matters. Yep, and great to be back. And we're talking about, uh, I guess, the first big show in the United Kingdom's Watts this, uh, this evening. So, yeah, uh, UK Takeover Blackpool 2, the most unwieldy show name ever. And if you try and shorten it, I think it becomes something like Nut B2, which, hey, Bobby Cannon's happy with it. I don't think anybody else was. Yeah, I saw some of that. That was pretty good. But, uh, yeah, NXT TakeOver Blackpool uh, 2020 slash Blackpool 2. Uh, you know, we, we previewed this show. There was definitely a lot of potential on the card, especially we talked to you know, Tyler Bate and Jordan Devlin and stuff like that. So we will go ahead and uh, we'll give this a breakdown today. We started off with Eddie Dennis and uh, Trent Seven singles match to open up the show, and I think like the important thing we talked about with this wasn't so much who won or so much how good the match was, but more how Eddie Dennis looked because we were both a little concerned about him. He was you know, coming off the torn pack, didn't exactly look you know he had like the one appearance, didn't look didn't look bad, but didn't look great or quite a hundred percent. So uh, he had his first. Um, I guess in NXT UK, his first extended match here, beating Trent seven in eight minutes. Uh, Ian, your thoughts? So yeah, I think since we last spoke, um, managed to see Eddie's first match in progress, uh, first big match in progress since injury. Um, I would say aggressively fine, but he's perfectly solid. Uh, you know, the match with Trent. No, Eddie's not playing baby. Uh, not playing playing the heel. Um, that mask, I think a lot of people were taking fun of. You know, was it Sonata? was a great muter. For going for something, I just don't think the open of takeovers may be the best time to debut, like wall paint or stuff like this. You know, especially for a feud that was built on Eddie holding on to a handshake for too long, but that's just me. Um, match off, I was pretty fine. You know, they went eight minutes. Um bit of dangerous stuff in here, mind. You know, it's you know, a bit of a theme throughout the night. Um, Tom Phillips kept calling the race's edge. I mean, you know, WWE's the land of branding. It's the Seven Bridge bomb, they called, whether it's a buckle bomb or what have you. Uh, I guess the big moment people are going to think of, I don't know, if they watch this and, re- and remember, uh, right at the end, Eddie Dennis giving that Seven Bridge from the ring to the floor. And, you know, I'm not usually one of these guys to go, oh, but you did this. You know, it's it's scary. It's you know, when um, uh, Canyon was thrown off the Triple Cage, you know, WCW back in the day. You know, I'm not usually one for you know that kind of outrage, but man, that especially that shot they they showed of Trent, you know, going on to you know some poor sort of at ringside and went into the dashboards. And the same day the La Parker news came through, that to me was a Maybe a bit too close to bone. I mean, no, it's fine, obviously, but yeah, just that those the optics from that, and that not even being the finish. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah, it felt a little, um, little over the top for the opening match. 
Because as you said, this was built off of Eddie Dennis coming back and being rude by holding on to Trent's hand. It, it wasn't like there was just like fun. deep-rooted hate there. You know what I mean? I mean, with some news a uh, while back, uh, the Pope had similar treatment. No, the Pope did was just push woman's arm off. He didn't you know, demand a match, didn't throw the woman from the ring into some security railings. It just felt like the match was fine. It just didn't fit the setup. Yeah, I, I thought it was like it, it was like low level good, like gentleman's three territory, and uh, you know, you, I thought Trent. I think Trent's a really great babyface. I think he gets. I think he just gets so overlooked because Pete and Tyler are the stars of the team, and obviously excellent. And you know, if we're being honest, Trent is an older gentleman, so there's not like a ton of longevity with him. I mean, hopefully he. Um, he plays things right and kind of ends up in a trainer's role or whatever and gets a job for life. I'd be happy for him. And I thought Dennis was a good ruthless heel, but yeah, I thought that uh, you know, the old Splash Mountain Seven Bridge Razor's Edge uh, over the top to the floor to kill a young lad. I mean, a little over the top for the opener, and a few di- really didn't have that much heat to it. And again, you know, that felt like you know, it was a blow for the one and done match. I don't see if they're going to come back to this. You know where they go next to Betty and Trent. Who knows? Um, I think you know for me, fact that your opening match had fairly high body count. Uh, one of the um, arena stewards, you know, sat pretty much his head right back to all stasher boards. First few minutes, that dive from Trent. I I don't know if he's fine. He, he certainly looked a bit shook up, holding back of his head for a while. Um, but yeah, it, it just felt like you know, for eight minutes they did a lot. But it was a match that really didn't fit the feud, and I'm saying match in a good way rather than a Triple H Randy Orton let's start for lock up and wrist lock kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, good news is things picked up here. We had the NXT UK Women's Championship match. Uh, I remember in the preview, this was one we were both a, a bit torn on, uh, like weren't quite sure results wise or what we might get quality wise coming off of uh, Kaylee Ray and Tony's rough match, and the fact that. Piper hadn't really been pushed super strongly. So, um, but uh, Kaylee Ray ended up retaining here um, at 1325 via pin. And I really enjoyed this. I thought it was really good. Lots of action throughout. Good pin breakups, good drama. Some great near falls down the stretch. The crowd was really great for it. And I thought they did a nice job of playing off of the established former friendship stuff well. And I thought Tom and Nigel actually did a very nice job on commentary selling that throughout. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I think was uh, Tom brought this up and Nigel may have parroted it. Uh, they started going through the nickname of the Glaswegian Sabu for Kaylee Ray, which, you know, she's been, had a few nicknames, Hardcore Daredevil, I think, has been the main one she's had to stick with her. Um, throughout the match, she definitely lived up to us. I mean, uh, you know, behind the curtain, I'm watch, watching this at home upstairs in like a mini office kind of place. Uh, my wife doesn't watch wrestling unless it's live in the arena. And with that sent on bomb from Kaylee Ray to the outside where her leg clipped the uh, side of the dashboard, I screamed so loud my wife rushed up to think that I'd fallen over or hurt herself. It's like, for me to make that kind of reaction on you know, TV wrestling is one thing. Um, yeah, they, they did a lot. Um, they went that, I dare say, called the trope, you know, multi-way match. Well, it's automatically no DQ. They got the plunder and what have you. Um, and again, you know, it was a really good match. They 
did kind of lose the crowd a bit in the middle, mind. And I don't know whether it's because, you know, we did the dives to the outside and, you know, the crowd were, you know, kind of, oh, she nearly killed herself, she nearly broke her leg, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, got back going, crowd got injured by the end. And I think, you know, we were saying uh, last week the, the best result may be Kaylee Ray winning. Um, sure enough, that's what happened. The one thing I would say from the start, um, Piper Niven, she, no, storyline, she hurt her back very early on with that cannonball into the, uh, the ring steps. Um, and I guess that's a nice little touch because, no, Tony Storm obviously was on NXT this week. Uh, Kaylee Ray as champion, I don't see her going anywhere. And I think you've kept that little shred of doubt in the back of the mind of if Piper didn't do that early on and her back was 100% throughout, would the, would the result have changed? I mean, obviously, I'm presuming Tony getting called the ball, not being moved out for title picture. Because if you look at that women's division, take you know, Tony and Piper out, there ain't that much depth. I mean, God love her. Killer Kelly ain't anywhere near title shots. Christ, she can't even pick up a win. <laughs> yeah, she's... Well, she did it Eve yesterday, but unfortunately that's an entirely different universe. It doesn't count in the official rankings according to the AEW uh, analog, so... Well, might might make that little <laughs> sidebar one week, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. You you take them out and the division is a bit bare. So, But I, I do really like Kaylee, Kaylee Ray retaining, and I do think the eventual singles feud with Piper Nevin makes a lot of sense. I thought that's where they were going to go after Kaylee Ray defeated Tony Storm the first time. But yeah, this um this does kind of feel like a, a good exit point for Tony Storm and she's you know, she's gonna face um Rhea Ripley at the World's Collide show and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and again, you know, it's weird same as for a brand that's been around officially about eighteen months. But Tony Storm's kind of done everything, and this is kind of the issue I think a lot of people have with NXT UK as a whole, is that you've had a lot of people come in with the cachet, for want a better word, of what they've done on the indies, mainly progress, but other promotions as well. And if you've come in, you know, Tony Storm came in hot as the top babyface, she went straight into the title program, you know, lost Rhea Ripley, won the belt, now lost the belt, it's like especially when you're in this one-hour week, kind of like early-day TNA territory, your only options really are you, you know, get cycled out for a spell, which, I'm sorry, that ain't happening, or, you know, you move on. It's, you know, there's something we're going to be seeing a lot, I feel, I mean, you know, sort of Pete Dunne. And, okay, a lot of people have you know, tagged Pete as being the one guy out for us who would you know, be promoted straight away. Um, but, yeah, I think... No, they're not taping TV again until uh, next weekend. I know they taped some preach. Well, actually, may as well bring this up now. Uh, spoilers for anyone who... No, no, for two people who watch NXT UK every week. Hi, Joel. Hi, Joel, sorry. Um, but uh, pre-shows, Drops uh, didn't make air. Your best man, Joe Connors, and A-Kid. I mean... You know, the big storyline going in, obviously, Joe Connors, Jim Hall, I'm Takeover, worthy. Well, he didn't make it under the car, so clearly not yet. But, I mean, AK got signed. I mean, again, you know, my well-worn tin hat for people suspecting he was signed to frustrate other promotions. And, you know, he was tagged by Tyler Bates as being one to watch. And he's losing on the NXT UK pre-show. Like, 
what's the actual fuck, guys? Yeah, that's not a good look. And I, I definitely uh, am in the field of he uh, he got signed to take him away from other places. That's just obvious to me. I mean, I, I mean, he deserves to get signed. Don't get me wrong; he's extremely talented. But I mean, they're just they're not going to do fuck all with him for how long? Look how long it took Jordan Devlin to finally get a feature match on a takeover. Well, advertised feature match, obviously, uh, Trent, um, Travis Banks and Michelle Yoko, and then it became, you know, Jordan and Finn Balor, which, you know, it was a good moment, guys, but didn't mean anything. Um, I think of a pre-show match, uh, Dave Mastiff and Cassius Ono, um, Mastiff won, so I guess, you know, for hometown, t- you know, the originals win both matches, yay, but, um, yeah, I... <sighs> I mean, oh no, Mastiff, I don't want to say I couldn't care less, you know. I kind of want to see how they got around Ono losing because you, know, you, you bring him in this big push of you know, the wrestling genius, I'm not going to throw strikes, I'm going to wrestle. It's a bit too soon to go back to the, maybe I do need to knock you know, mothers the fuck out, that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, the, the A-Kid stuff, to me, it did feel like maybe signed a bit too young. Um, I mean, I mean, Christ, in terms of promotions working, the only place I believe he's a regular in was Ref Pro. Progress were barely using him. Uh, you know, other promotions in the UK, the most they were using were in tags with uh, Carlos Romo, who sadly, at least in Ref Pro, has been left floundering on a losing streak gimmick. Um, it's like, to me, that just felt like signing to frustrate. You know, we've seen obviously this compared to TakeOver in 2019 next to no development in terms of uh, wrestlers or characters. And I guess that's a decent seg into the next match, which was kind of built on the guy who won the tournament there three years ago and the guy who's maybe had the most development since in three years. Asterisk is also guys in a lot of indie days outside of WWE, but let's not speak on that. Uh, Tyler Bate, Jordan Devlin. Yeah, Real quick before we hit that, I do want to go back to Tony Storm. And I've brought this up before, but... I think it's really fascinating that, you know, Tony came in with a lot of hype. Obviously, she's she's very good. She has a fantastic look. I mean, she looks like a star. But for whatever reason, everything hasn't really clicked really well for her. And we're in a point now that we're into 2020. And, like, I know a lot of people don't like this. But, you know, you kind of have to look at the fact that, like, Rhea Ripley came pretty much out of nowhere you know, changed her character and everything, and has kind of lapped Tony at this point. Absolutely. In, in terms I mean, of becoming a star. And, and again, you do have to think, sorry, is, you know, Rhea did Largo Loop for a little bit, but her first prominence outside of the May Young Classics was NXT UK. She was the, the featured heel from week one. And you know, in terms of promo, she kind of nailed it. And I think for one thing that a lot of people dog Tony on is her promos. Now, no, but not far be it for me to you know comment on size promise Christ I stumble enough as it is. But that's the kind of thing this is a star business. I mean it's not the NWA where, you know, it's two minute matches and you know five minute promos, but if you can't talk, that's gonna be a big millstone around your neck. Yeah. 
And I love the fact that Rhea, because a lot of people are like, well, why are they sending her to the UK and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, they saw her as someone with potential to be a star. They didn't have room for her on NXT proper. She got a great run there, as you said, from week one as the top female heel. And that was really great for her maturation process. And it's paid off now because she has turned into a star for NXT. And I'm, and I'm not saying that Tony's done or anything, but I just, it's really interesting the fact that everybody had Tony paid for something really big and with good, good reason. And again, for whatever reason, it just really hasn't clicked yet. And then here's Rhea and it's like, Hey, I'm here. I'm good. And it's, it's real. it's kind of, it's, I find it really interesting. So that brings us, as you said, to Tyler Bate and Jordan Devlin. Yep. And uh, I will let you go first real quick. Tyler Bate defeated Jordan Devlin 22-40 via pin. Yep. So, you know, the big thing going into this, uh, whether you watched Prime Target or all the stuff, you know, building shows going in, was this was everyone being pegged as match for night. You know, William Regal, one of the few guys still using paper and pen, tagged this as, you know, you can throw your sheets away. This is match for night, blah, blah, blah. It was match for night, but that to me kind of speaks more about the rest of the card. Um, but I think in terms of match, it lived up to expectations, but my God, if they had put more hype on this, it may well have you know, underwhelmed. I mean, a lot of this for me was Tyler Bate largely going to his greatest hits. You know, he did you know the, the long airplane spin. You know, he did bop bang all his usual stuff. But compare that with Jordan Devlin, who you knows thrown in some new stuff. You know, doing the boxing. You know, he kept going for Devlin's side, but he was you know doing it in subtly different ways. Um, it's like to me, you know, Tyler won in my mind. I would obviously say the wrong person won, uh, but I think it, this match kind of showed if you looked, you know, peeled behind the you know, first lane result. If this is kind of shown, maybe Tyler Bates in, in terms of I don't say moveset, but in terms of you know, his, his arsenal and matches, maybe stalling a little bit, whereas Devlin, who is doing a lot more stuff in the Indies, is, you know, progressing. And I would dare say at this rate, you know, give it another six, 12 months, may well overtake Tyler. No, I think that's a fair assessment. I, you know, we've talked about how good Jordan Devlin is, and the fact is, is he hasn't really gotten to show it because, as far as NXT UK goes, I mean, because... Yeah, he's on TV. He always works good matches on TV. He always looks like a star on TV. But he didn't have that outlet to finally be featured. And he finally got it here. And I was so glad for that. Because, I mean, I love this match. I thought it was excellent. Um, When you compare this to, like, everything else on the card, for me, and your point with Tyler is fair, but I, I also think overall, though, that the work felt really clean and effortless, and in terms of comparing it to the rest of the card, execution was just so much better than everything else on the card. Absolutely. Like I say, everything was crisp. You know, you had you know, a lot of sweet transitions, you know, into Destroyers. The only thing for me that maybe looked a bit iffy, I think was right at the end, was the half Spanish fly on the top rope. You know, that switcheroo seemed a little bit contrived if you want to be very nitpicky. I mean, Christ, it's the internet, so who isn't? But, yeah, if you're picking apart, you know, them shuffling on the top rope for Spanish Fly, then, you know, it's a great match. Going about the uh, matches that these guys had, so, again, that good friend at uh, Cage Match, so 
NXT UK kind of started in June 2018, when we did the uh, UK tournament thing. Um, the match tonight was Tyler Bates' 100th since then. Uh, Devlin's not have that many more, but if you look at where they've had the matches, uh, Bates, and I'm scrolling down the list here, has been a lot of WWE NXT things, a few progress logos, um, but the majority of his stuff has been in the WWE system. Whereas Devlin, I was just rattling the names off, um, obviously OTT, his home, his home promotion until recently, uh, Fight Club Pro, TNT in Liverpool, um, you know, going back a lot more Fight Club Pro, uh, Fight Factory Pro Wrestling, sort of home promotion in Ireland, uh, Dragon Pro in Wales, um, you know, North in Newcastle. You know, North is a tiny promotion, like... You know, they get maybe a couple hundred fans a month, so for him to work that kind of show as a WWE superstar is you know, kind of saying what they thought from at that point. Um, but yeah, just for sheer range of promotions, it's not just been you know, the WWE, you know, T- NXT, NXT UK TV, what have you. So to me, maybe it's that ability of still being able to travel and be almost an indie star without being, you know, without you know, having the uh, safety of a contract, but it's helping Jordan. Um, I would kind of like to see that even in defeat, Devlin carries on, but I do have a nasty feeling that when we look at the spoilers this time next week out of York, I have got a nasty feeling Devlin is going to be, you know, mid-card for the next foreseeable anyway. Yeah, which will really be a shame because I I thought he was obviously very great here, and I just... I, I agree in a way, too, that it kind of felt like he should have won here because I really think that... It doesn't feel like they're going to really do much with Bate. I mean, I guess theoretically they could heat him back up for a rematch with Walter, which I wouldn't argue with. But I also think that you're just, they're kind of continuing to undermine Devlin because I think there's so much more they can do with the guy. And he obviously stepped up here and proved it. So, I mean, I don't know. I just, uh. I mean, we said earlier about, you know, Pete Dunn and uh, Tony Storm. Tyler was the first UK champion, he lost it. There's no secondary belt here. Uh, Mustache Mountain, they keep most guys apart as a regular thing. What do you do with Tyler Bates if he's not in the championship picture? The flip side of that is, you know, they're doing a biannual takeover, so the next one will be in August. Tyler Bates back against Walter in August. I mean, we you know we kind of make him a joke tongue-in-cheek about how this is the same guys just a bit shuffled up. Christ, they do bait Walter 2 in August. Yeah, it'd be a good match. But that is going to really shine a light on you know, what development isn't going on. Yeah, the overall lack of growth is something that has been uh, very disappointing. And um, and because it's like we keep bragging on it. I mean, there's a lot of talent there, but it's just it just feels like everybody has a role and this is the role you're going to stay in. And that's all you're going to be. Yeah, no one shuffles up. Nobody shuffles down. I think the only guy who took time off was Ligero, and I think that may have been with injury as well. So it's like, you know, and even then, Ligero took time off. All they did, you know, wasn't like he was mid-card and somebody else stepped up in his place. It was just, yeah, you know, we do 50-50 for a while, he comes back. Um, I One thing I will say about this match at the end, uh, we had Triple H, Johnny Saint, William Regal applauding from one of the boxes or the balcony, I guess, in the Empress Ballroom. Uh, that was kind of a callback to that first uh, UK tournament moment. Uh, the thought that 
WWE.com unfortunately edited with Tyler celebrating that nice banner which made it look like he was naked and Finney was uh, dick shaming him. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to me, it just felt like, you no, know, whether it's heating Tyler up, you no, know, obviously we need to know what the next chapter of the story is, but you know, you've done everything with Tyler short of the tag title. Well, he's had the, you know, the big boys NXT tag title, so why have UK belts? But to um, me, it feels like Tyler Bates, a guy who he's done everything very quickly. So you either go the second go round, or he's just spinning his wheels. And I think going second go round, I think we mentioned in the past, should not be on a takeover. It needs to be on some kind of kind of like a specials impact do. You know, a special episode of a TV show, build up to that rather than you know we just wait and have you no know, couple of months. Then in June, July, start warming them up. For takeover, but yeah, I think Tyler Bate would be another one maybe best served uh, making the trip to full sale permanently. See, I thought, and I agree because I thought he was going to lose here, and that was was going to happen. But I mean, yeah, him picking up the win surprised me really. But I mean, hell of a match, so easily the best thing on the card, and um, yeah, just a slightly questionable booking. So I'm not sure what they're going to do with either of these guys, and. Maybe we will find out when they tape TV, or they're just going to be a couple of dudes hanging around. Well, see, I mean, no, there's no takeovers for six months, so there'll be a lot of wheel-spinning TV shows for a while. Yeah, I mean, maybe they fit in another Worlds Collide at some point and do some stuff with these guys, but who knows. WrestleMania weekend, perhaps, but yeah. But we spoke about the uh, big boys tag titles. Um, I guess next up, the ladder match for the NXT UK, uh, UK tag belts. And I'll say Flash Morgan Webster, your ladder climbing of the gym paid off. You didn't do the goddamn slow ladder climb that every other wrestler does, but uh, this was a stun show and a half. Definitely. Uh, Gallus retained the titles over Imperium, South Wales Subculture, and the Grizzly Young Veterans. 23.55. Um, I think I like this one a little bit more than you. Um, I think we got the wrong winners here. I did not see the purpose in Gallus retaining. Really thought it should have been Imperium heading into Worlds Collide. Uh, and I thought they you know, they delivered on the stipulation. I thought it was a lot of fun. Definitely a stunt show at times, but just really enjoyable. And for me, I thought it was better than I thought it was going to be. Because as we talked in the preview, like, you know, James Drake and um, Zach Gibson aren't exactly big high spot wrestlers. James Drake does some cool stuff, but they're not big high spot guys. Imperium Eichner does some cool stuff, but they're not, you know, high high flying guys and stuff. You guys, you would expect to thrive in a ladder match. Gallus certainly isn't. You know, Wolfgang does some decent stuff at times, but you know, it was pretty much like we were leaving it up to Mark and Flash for a lot of stuff. But uh, I like this a lot. I thought it was pretty great, actually. Not not is not on the level of um, Bait and Devlin, obviously, but really enjoyed it. But Thought we had the wrong winners for sure. It's just, I don't yeah, know. I mean, the, Gallus, the best thing about Gallus is their theme music. It's like slightly low key banger music, and I like it. But then they get in the ring, and I'm like, eh. and then the bell rings. I think I think the problem I had with this was twofold: three heel teams and three team for same three teams. Obviously, because for heels and they, this how they should be doing it. Guys, are you watching? Are very much ground based. The problem you had was with that, you only had Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews to do the flashy stuff at the best of times. And to me, that kind... I don't want to say it wore thin, but 
he can only do that for so long. I mean, you know, a couple of years back, uh, Flash Morgan had shoulder surgery. Um, remember back to the Cruiserweight Classic, he had a qualifier with Zack Sabre Jr. and he completely screwed up his shoulder and ankle. Um, and he's had a few shoulder problems as well. And again, it was one point mismatch. Uh, things fairly late on top ladder. They tipped over. He went over top rope, flipped and landed on the floor. Yeah, he took the old I, Christian bump, man. Yeah, and for a guy who's had surgically reconstructed shoulder, you don't want to be taking any of those. But you know, they, they brought it. Um, the one thing in Misfit made me lose my mind. Mark Andrews. You know, there's a few spots in wrestling I hate, and we'll touch on one in the main event. Is in ladder matches. You know, you're unopposed. You've got a guy who's in perfect position to take a bump. Why do it? Why do like a shooting star press or anything when you all you need to do is take three steps and you win the match? And it's that kind of dumb babyface thing, which for me, yeah, you got the crowd to chief you. You lost. And at the end of the day, you know, that's that kind of stuff just makes you know kind of loses credibility a little bit. You know, if all you do is you flips in your high spots. And you don't care about winning, well, why should I care about you as a babyface? Um, but I mean, aside from that, I mean, Christ, a lot of stuff for the ladders. Um, it did get a little bit plunderific, like they brought out chairs early on, la- uh, tables came out, and I know Matthews got that spot already uh, good to go. Um, you know, Brit Reyes for tables either don't break or they have the same weight as paper mache. Um, unfortunately for Mark Coffey, his just completely cave the second he breathed on it, I think. Um, but that double, <laughs> that side-by-side sentinel of a ladder, I legitimately thought at least Mark had hurt himself from that impact just the way they you know, they were not selling, was just, you, know, you had the, um, like, the, the shuddering on the, imp- you know, on the impact and like the, you know, the spinal tingling. I mean, it's like, you can do that once or twice, but especially after a spot like that, that's almost taken me out for match, but um, I mean they, they did really well. I think it was a bit in the middle before they brought out you know, the, the tables, the you know, the super sized ladders, the kendo stick. They did lose the crowd a little bit, and I think a lot of that was down to three grounded heel teams and you know one flying babyface team. You could only do so much, but you know, without being killed. Yeah, and and again, the gal like again, I'm not trying to like shit all over Gallus because they're far from horrible, but they're just to me they're fine, and I just I don't know. Again, I thought it made no sense for them to win because you were building up Imperium versus Undisputed Era for this World's Collide special, and the optics I think look way better if Imperium comes in with all the NXT UK gold. And they're facing off with Undisputed Era, who has all the NXT US gold. It just makes sense because no titles are on the line. I just think it makes the match a little bit bigger. And then we're just we're keeping the titles on Gallus for reasons. I mean, I kind of see that mindset, uh, Larry. I mean, what you don't want is when you're doing this big brand supremacy bullshit thing. I mean, who f- first step? Survivor Series was what two months ago who really cares about brand supremacy then let alone oh well it's nxt wednesday v nxt thursday you know but and to me we talked to from last time you know it's in a big arena i am kind of scared of how that's going to look to be perfectly honest with you um i mean i think it was smart not to have all the belts in one match you know you're doing undisputed era against imperium 
it's maybe a good thing you don't have every single title belt for men locked up in one match. The downside is Gallus, they have put for a lot of people's jokes. Um, and again, they did the feud where, in, in all this, they had the three of the main tag teams have a fight to you know, stake a claim to be tag team champions. The belts were, weren't were held up, but they were taken off them for this. And well, now you've beaten three, you know, tag teams two, three, and four quite handily. Well, what's the next feud? The Hunt? Pretty deadly? Ashton Smith and Oliver Carter. <sighs> no, I mean, I, I, I say that jokingly. I seriously have no clue. And that, um, yeah, that kind of does expose the, uh, the NXT UK tag ranks because outside of these top four teams, it's like you really don't have anybody ready. The Hunter are a fun little team. I, I, it's not that I dislike them, but they're not, they're not in position to be viable challengers. Pretty Deadly have looked good in their li- limited appearances, but they've been a job team. Are they going to bring back Dorian Mack and Riddick Moss? Oh, fuck no. I hope not. <laughs> I know. They, they, but again, the problem is, and it all boils back down to the lack of development. Like, you know, you've cycled through the Grizzled Young Veterans, um, South Wales subculture, which are called that everywhere, apart from the introductions, I notice, uh, Imperium lately. It's like, well, okay, they've not been beaten like a drum, but they've all lost pretty convincingly a massive tag team ladder match. No, what you can't exactly go back to any of those teams next. And no, I'm not saying, you know, Worlds Collide will have, um, you know, Fish and O'Reilly against, you know, uh, again, it shows you uh, Gallus, you know, I've just seen the show and their names bypassing Mark Coffee and Wolfgang. Um, it's like, that's fine, but you can't have that and go back to, you know, uh, Gallus against teams two or three or four, because to me, uh, it just, I don't know, beyond those top four, there is nothing, unless you go the New Japan route of, oh no, Tyler Bates and Jordan Devlin, or do you yeah. reform Mustache Mountain and even then, you know, reform Mustache Mountain against uh, Gallus? No, I don't think we've had that, but I don't know how many people are clamoring for that either. Yeah, in theory, you can always go back to Mustache Mountain because they've never won the titles, but it also feels like it'd be kind of a step back for Tyler Bate, so I don't know. I'm just checking. uh, Yeah, in terms of their history, Mustache Mountain and Gallus only had one match uh, way back when November 2018, when they did the tag title tournament. So, yeah, we may be knocking. You know, it's the phrase everyone's using to death, and it's boring everyone. But that may be a forbidden door we are actually opening. There you go. Uh, we could see that. So, and that leads us to our main event of the evening: NXT UK Champion Walter defending against Joe Coffee. And we talked about <laughs> lack of development. We're a year on officially to the date of Joe Coffey being a main event player in NXT UK. And I talked about this in the preview. Joe Coffey is far from a bad wrestler. He's fine. But nobody buys him as a top star. And this match was weird because technically they're both heels. 
But everybody kind of likes Walter because he's awesome. And then Joe Coffey comes out to like the Charlie Haas pop. Like nobody <laughs> cared. Yeah, I mean, Prime Talk did after we recorded last week. And the big thing they tried to do, I mean, we didn't touch upon this much, but uh, Sean Ryan, he's an absolute master. He turned for most of his card chicken shit into a gourmet chicken salad, let's be honest. Uh, the big thing they had for this match was Joe Coffey being very, I don't want to say out of his mind, but very much focused on righting the wrong from last year. You know, he had the match with uh, Pete Dunn. I guess we can end the joke now that that match is still going on. But that match last year, I didn't think that highly of it. Um, this year, a little bit better. But yeah, it just felt like his whole reason for getting this match was I didn't do as well as I wanted to last year. I then got overshadowed. And no, you know, here we are with Walter and Joe Cobb this year. My big fear is, obviously, it was a big, it was a big angle at the end, which we'll talk about afterwards. But Joe Coffey lost again this year. He got overshadowed again. Um, if Joe Coffey went off the rails last year because of this, he's going to turn into Frank Grimes in 2021. And, like, God forbid if, you know, NXT UK brings in, like, a, I don't even know what you'd call it, like, a secondary belt, and Joseph Connors wins it. You know, oh, I can imagine... I don't need to win a title because I'm Joe Coffer. You know, that kind of stuff. It just feels like the the story they told to make a babyface one did not work. Like, say, the Charlie Haas pop. Nobody connected. You know, the fact that, okay, the crowd was maybe going about more out of charity than genuine, genuine feeling from uh, you know, people I know who are in the crowd. But... The fact that you had Walter come in a year ago, this big monster heel, uh, uh, no, he was trying to be a monster heel, this big monster superstar who, at the time, you know, he, you know, he had he was had to run as Progress Champion. He was a big name over in WXW. He had that aura around him, and the space for year, he's got you no. Know, he had a, a brief spell, you no know, survive season, literally brief spell. Was it three minutes? He got pinned in that match, and now he's leading a, st- a heel stable, and you have to have all the heel stable tropes. You know, guy, you know, a guy who's not been on the show comes out to help, and then a guy from the other team comes out to help. And it's like, I don't know. You know, others have said this, and I don't think it's been a like a hit like others have suggested other wrestlers, but... Walter going from this big monster star a year ago to, you know, latest guy in the WWE cookie cutter, at least in this presentation. That's something, man. It's like, you know, I'm not, don't get me wrong. Walter's not being diminished. He's not, you know, he's not coming out to crickets, but he compared to 12 months ago. How do you do that? I, I completely agree. And real quick, you know, Walter defeated Joe Coffey 27 minutes and 40 seconds via submission. I, I'm echoing everything you said, man. I absolutely fucking hated the booking of Walter here. Seeing him diminished and being booked as every cliche heel stable leader ever that needs help from his little geek squad and he gets visually pinned after a bullshit ref bump 
is so lazy. I am sick of bullshit in wrestling overall. I hate it in New Japan. I hate it here. I hate it everywhere. It's just so lazy. Can't we try to do something different? And I think that booking like this is, it really, it doesn't kill Walter, but it, for me, it kills what's special about him. Yeah. That aura, you know, there were, this match had really good elements of a big man battle. And they did have a story here. But it was overbooked. I thought it went too long. And for me, it again proved that Joe Coffey is not a main event guy. No. He's just not. He's fine. Him and Gallus are fine. And for me, this was like the least enjoyable Walter match I can think of in forever. I just, uh, I never got into it. It wasn't bad. It was fine. I mean, let's, let's be real. Even though Gallus retained early in the night, there was absolutely no way Walter was losing. No, it was just the way Joe had been presented in the build-up. Like, there was no... Like, take Walter's side. Who's the top heel in NXT UK? No, were they going? Were they going to no assume Joe Coffey won? The instant no, the obvious thing would have been a rematch, unless I, no Alexander Wolf, God love him, he's not no no title status. And then after that, who's your next big heel? Eddie Dennis. And to me, it just feels like you have no again. You've got you know, the same hour week, but everyone is in their place. You don't move out of your box for better for worse. One means you have stuff like this. Um, no, you have stuff like this where I don't say it's um, not predictable, but it certainly you know, doesn't exactly help in terms of um, what's the word. You know, it certainly doesn't certainly doesn't help in terms of where they're going to go. You know, like this match results afterwards. Unless you lean into, you know, we'll get someone from NXT and make part of Worlds Collide. Really, for this, was the only winner could have been Walter. There was nobody else to even do the wheel spinning TV episodes. But, I mean, Joe Coffey, I mean, I'm looking you know, at, you know, at his history. Bear in mind, he's been going for over a decade, so it's not like he's some you know, newbie not trained. Oh, it's not, not, uh, no, not seasoned. And... The only place, like he's had three, no tight big no title runs in ICW. Although that being said, sorry, two runs in ICW's with their world title. One was a same day in and out same day job. Uh, the other he had for shade over six months. Um, Grant Fowler said the spell when they were doing the big uh, shows from Hydro in Glasgow, but the fact that no his. Big show, his big company tenure is six months with ICW and literally nowhere else. Like Progress booked him. I mean, when I started going to Progress shows in 2017, I think it was, they would bring him up their Atlas term to the you know, big lads, uh, you know, the opposite of cruiserweights. And they did this round robin gimmick. He was booked to that. He made it for the final. They never used him again after that. It was like, you know, progress at the time were the peak of, you know, Britres, you know, they booked the big names. They didn't have any of this. Again, Tin Hat Time, they didn't, you know, book Joel Coffey out of charity, for instance. Uh, Joel Connors out of charity. But when you've got, like, uh, Joel Coffey, and I'm looking here, you know, uh, February, April, June, 
August, September 2016. Um, yeah, October 2016. Uh, title contention shot in November 2016. Um, a match a year later against Doug Williams, just because. And then his last match at Progress was just over two years ago, losing to Jack Sexsmith, who, you know, I think playing like a almost like a Spike Dudley kind of visual with the size difference. So you've got a guy who, okay, Progress isn't NXT UK or even NXT UK light, but they have been known to, hey, let's bring this guy in, you know, try him out, with like so Joe Connors. The fact that Joe Coffey was in Progress until 2017 and never since, that kind of tells you at least, you know, what some people look at is his level. And the fact that he's now been in two of the three takeover main events for title shots, like I don't, I don't know. You know, someone sees something in him, and like you know, he's he's not a bad guy. He's just not main event caliber. And the fact that he's been put in main events this often, and let's be honest, you no know, Gallus have the tag titles. They're not going away overnight. He's not going to be too far away from the main events for foreseeable anyway. And again, that's a shame because we're we're into that wheel spinning territory. It's like, and again, I, I don't want anybody to think like I don't think he and Gallus are horrible. Okay, I liked the latter match a lot. I liked that three way tag they did a while back. You know, it's like they're they've done some good stuff, but like sometimes you know people need to stay in their lane, and WWE needs to realize here that uh. You know, Joe Coffey, when you look at this roster, I mean, there's probably, there's so many guys I would put ahead of him without even thinking twice about it. He's fine. He's a good guy you could heat up for a title match on TV. He's not the guy to be headlining two of your three takeovers. No. And again, no, no, he always have these conspiracies or these theories or what have you. The big assumption i guess you'd call it you've got a lot of people who book and produce progress who are involved in nxt uk when nxt uk started being a thing pretty strong style was the big heel group in progress pete style and trent and they're not doing the same stuff but you have your i guess now lead babyface faction it's scottish strong style for a better word except the difference is pete tyler and trent all can go in the ring at a no, main event ish level, I haven't seen that from many of uh, British Strong uh, from uh, Gallus at this point. And we are you no know, eighteen months into NXT UK having weekly TV. Uh, do you pull the plug on Gallus? Well, you can't because who's there to replace them? Um, but again, you know, you saw you no know, last year uh, Joe Coffey was overshadowed in defeat, and you no know, lightning struck twice this year. That's right, because afterwards, Imperium was all happy and celebrating, and the Undisputed Era arrived, and uh, they beat the shit out of them. They laid out Walter, and they stood tall, and just to rub it into everybody's face, the UK crowd turned on their own and loved the Undisputed Era, <laughs> because they wanted to see stars. Well, I mean, as people, people meant, had to go meet this, like, yeah, sure, the crowd are going to cheer for British Strong, uh, for Undisputed Day because they are big stars. Great. Why have them on this show? I get why because you've got Worlds Collide in two weeks. But man, you know, 
call an audible, do something, you know, tape something with this after show, or even better, go for, you know, you had your cliche of the bug in the corner, copyright 2020 World Wrestling Entertainment Inc. Fade to black, then do the beat down for the, you know, in front of the live crowd and air that to start TV next week. Because to me, all that did was show, I mean, Christ, this, I mean, this aired at 5 p.m. Sunday tea time in the UK. No, noon Sunday in the States or no, 9 a.m. for Pussods in Seattle and the West Coast who got up early for this, for one of you. Um, but it's like, going off the air, we've seen a decent lukewarmish crowd then suddenly erupting because Undisputed Era came out. What optics does that give you for NXT UK? For, you know, the brand that we built... For you, by you. Wait, that, I swear that's enough promotion. But no, for you, by you. And no, the second, no, one of the bigger boys comes out, they lose their shit. That doesn't tell me, no, that doesn't exactly inspire much confidence in me. It's like, again, a lot of masters to serve, but yeah, the thing I remember going off the air is not Walter got beaten by you no know, dispute today with the mugging because, yeah. When you've got no, when your backup is a guy with you no know, two guys of ice packs taped to their tracksuit jackets for crying out loud, you know you haven't got backup. But well, two things I guess from that: um, one, nobody else in NXT UK cares about the brand because she wasn't a hell of a lot of help from. Apparently not. There is no brand alliance. It's not like when Raw and SmackDown feeds every year; they don't magically become friends. They were like, "Fuck Walter." Let them die. Maybe, maybe they were too busy putting up the NXT UK t-shirts. Oh, shit, guys, we've got some of these in the back. Where are they? We can't go out here without our NXT UK t-shirts. How will they know which brand we represent? Well, you short, you've got a beard, they'll, they'll know. <laughs> I don't know, dude, because, like, you look at the main roster and, like, you have Roman, Seth, and Elias, who you could all mistake for a brother, like, each other's brother. So it's like... Yeah, the the beard thing is just everywhere, and then you got like the the forgotten sons who are just like, well, they're horrible, but they pretty much all look alike. So, yeah, I mean, you could probably oh god, NXT beards, there's the next big big roster, not sponsored by Gillette for the obvious reason, but um, actually, while we're touching on uh, you know, I would say dumb baby face, but one thing about main event that did irk me, and you get this in all the big matches, so it's not just a Walter or Joe Coffee thing. Wrestlers see everything goes on in the match. Like, if you're on the ring, you see, and there's a ref bump with, uh, what's his name, Chris Sharp, uh, shotgun drop kick from all to wipe out the ref. You see the ref is down, maybe not even in the ring. Why do guys hit their finish and go for a cover? Go, oh, no, I would have won. Where's the referee? It's like, and it's even worse when you're the guy who fucking did the move to them. But in this case, you know, Joe Coffey did the powerbomb visual pin which is a lot more than some guys who Walter's had long-term feuds with ever had David Starr. But it's like, <laughs> to me, it's like, you, you've done me. So somewhere and someone on some level wants to subconsciously tell us, Joe Coffey is the same level Walter. He would have beaten him had Walter not killed the ref. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is what they want us to believe. I know that's what they want us to believe, but Jesus Christ. No. And that scares me because it's no, they've put that seed in. We're getting this match again, Larry. Oh, I know we are. Yeah. And that's, that scares the holy shit out of me because this match wasn't bad. It was not a main event. I mean, 
You look uh, six months ago, Cardiff, Tyler Bate, Walter's your main event. This was chalk and cheese. Yeah, I mean, Walter and Tyler Bate, depending on who you talk to, was either the match of the year or in that top five. And then you go from that to this. And I just, again, the whole thing with me is like the presentation of Walter, man. He he does not need help. We don't need all this bullshit. He doesn't need his buddies coming in. Just, you had a guy that had a vibe around him. That people bought as a legit ass-kicking beast. Just let him be that. Because if he is that, whenever he does lose, whoever it's going to be... To me, that comes off so much bigger because then you've slain the beast. Yeah, I don't need the beast looking weak for fucking Joe Coffee. I think the problem with Walter Scott, I mean, you know, we you know, spoke earlier about how Jordan Devlin's working all the indies. The thing, the problem that we've got now with Walter is they had the big star and every single part of the had to have him. Like, you no, know, he you no, know, he debuted obviously this time last year, but I'm looking you know, those last few months. He did uh, NXT the uh, Largo Loop. He did Evolve. I mean, I know David Starr got uh, blocked by Gabe for the whole, you know, pay your worker stuff, and I wholeheartedly agree on that. Like I'm looking at this now, Walter has done four Evolve uh, matches in the last. Uh, from sep- late September to uh, start of December. Four Evolve matches. And had JD his championship Drake. stolen. Well, yeah, that's why uh, Timothy Thatcher wrestled in MMA shorts a few, a few weeks back. But yeah, four four matches in Evolve in just a shade over two months. Now I'm comparing that now to his NXT UK run for that same time period. Walter has wrestled more for Gabe Sapolsky's propped up indie fed than he has for brand he's supposedly champion of. He did the uh, four and four, no wild tag, no week after Survivor Series, and then tonight, he's he's wrestled more for Gabe than he has NXT UK. What's that say? No, that's not. No, we don't want to overexpose our champion, which I get, but it's like Walter also should not be the guy that, you know, Gabe Sapolsky wheels in to prop up evolve, book, you know, prop evolve ticket sales, no. You know, in the same time frame, he, okay, he did the you no know, the raw tapings when in, in the UK. Fair enough. He did the house show in Vienna that was on the Prime Target special. That's fair enough. Walter from from Austria. You no, know, that's a nice uh, bucket list thing to take off. No problem there. He did uh, Big Japan uh, that tag match with uh, Daisuke Sakamoto, Yuji Hino, New uh, Yokobayashi, which was fantastic. And was a favor to Daisuke, which. If you, you know read tea leaves, maybe sign of NXT Japan at some point. Uh, but again, I didn't. I didn't know this. I saw this. You know, you go back from say September to now. Even go back to September to today. So three months, pretty much. In, in terms of promotions, he's worked for twice for NXT UK. He's worked more for WXW, a promotion he's not even full time with anymore. Than he has a brand he's carrying the fucking belt with. I was like, I'm not, no, even if, even if you just put him on TV once, a, no, in my usual cycle, once a month, have him squash Jack Stars again, have him squash, I don't know, Saxon Huxley, have him squash anyone. No, 
Hell, have no. If you want to wrap up the uh, Joe Connors thing, have him no do a match with Joe Connors, completely obliterate him. You know, you're not worthy. Then repatch again. I don't know. But to me, if you've brought a guy in to be the flagship of your brand, you also should not be spreading across so thin that fucking evolve his promotion he's appeared for more than the brand he was signed to in the first place. Yeah, it seems ridiculous when you break it down like that because, again, I'm I'm not for I don't want them to completely overexpose him and just do a bunch of bullshit on TV where it's not special. But yeah, I mean, wheel the guy out occasionally. Like you said, just let him murder some geeks. You know, maybe you find a geek that is has some kind of allegiance or relationship to the next guy that's going to challenge him. Let Walter murder this dude on TV and then set up his next challenger through that. Do something. Give me something with him. He's just... He's there, but he's not. I mean, you you had this whole run... No, it still goes on, but does not to the extent of wheeling in like local trainees, like uh, the last. Not, no, there's been so much NXT UK, I forget. But Roy Johnson uh, did things for Essex tapings a few weeks back. Um, no, best perfect guy, you know. In terms of you know, is he a future star? Well, a few people, no, depending on who you ask, maybe, probably not. Bring him on, no, be the no tackling dummy. No, I'm not saying you have to be 10 minutes, you no, know, four or five star sprint, but you no, know, get your hope spots in. You no, know, try, you no. Know, and even if you all pivoted around, oh, you tried to shop Walter Balladier, thwack, powerbomb, one, two, three. You no, know, even if it's just like the classic what we used to do for Yokozuna back in the day, you no, know, where he was barely in there, but by God, you knew he was on TV more than just, yeah, he's a big guy for belt and the tracksuit. It'd be nice, but, um, I guess that's just not in the plans right now because I don't know. I just I think he could be presented a lot better, and I just again not a fan of this main event booking at all. But uh, I mean, again, I think you know it's, it also feels like this would down. Sounds like we're down on the end of this. NXT UK Takeover Blackpool Tool, <sighs> stupid long name, but who cares these days? Good show. Problem is, we are in an era now where good isn't good enough. Like, you know, unless you watch this live, you can have a lot of people who are going to, you know, through word of mouth, you know, whether it's, you know, my review, your review, social media stuff. A lot of people, if they had no intention of watching this, they'll go back and catch Spade and Devlin, undoubtedly. Maybe they'll add a match. The rest, I think that's a problem. You know, if you, cherry, if you just watch NXT UK through cherry picking, of course it's going to be good. Like if you no know, if I have a you no know, a Hawaiian pizza and pick for pineapple off, it's good. Doesn't mean the Hawaiian pizza itself's good. And it's just that whole thing of you've got to look at the product as a whole. And for headline stuff, absolutely great. But the problem is the bits underneath kinda of drag it down and to me that's an an absolute crying shame for the guys on this roster because the one thing I keep saying, the names they have signed have talent. Now, these aren't bums who, you know, straight out of training school and you're, you know, throwing them against each other on worldwide TV. These guys are talented. You know, these guys are more than capable of, you know, building a scene. They did it for years before, you know, before we came calling. So it's like, to me, it's a presentation of those guys which is letting the side down. I mean, 
No, we saw for no the first uh, takeover you had uh, the Kaylee went uh, piping in the ringside, and that's been the long trope of NXT takeovers. Is we've signed somebody, let's pray for the ringside. Well, tonight, who were the guys at ringside? Travis Banks, who last I saw was doing draws of Ligero, and Rich Holland, who I'll be up front now, he should have been on this fucking card. Dude, let me tell you, Rich Holland is the stereotype of what every American thinks a British villain looks like. Yeah. I'm just telling you right now, that's the God's honest truth. The I mean the first promo videos a lot of people took for piss because it looked like Coronation Street the uh, British soap opera. Ah, okay. You know, the, the, the cobbled streets. All you were missing was the music. It's like as no as a character, it's a, it's cartoony. No, I don't even think if you go to like mu no the how would you call it like the live action role play museum kind of things, you're not going to see a guy who looks like him at balls. You know, like I said, they've taken a an American's view of what he looks like, which I believe that character was one he developed on the Largo loop, and then we've gone, well, you know, he's still very roaming. I think we spoke last time, he used to play uh, rugby league over in England, uh, retired, and you know, he was one of those guys, along with um, Sadie Gibbs, they wanted to sign, but this back when Trump got in, and they changed the visa rules, he had no experience, and they weren't about to sign a guy and get a visa for a guy who had no experience wrestling. So, um, guy's real name is... Uh, this, now, this one, blank. Luke Menzies, yeah. He did a bunch of UK indies. Um, not anything big that you know, would get tape. I think the highest profile he got was um, maybe a rumble appearance or two for Defiant back before they shut down. But he had a brief title reign for a small company in the northeast called 3CW. And he's working on fairly big name guys. Um, I'm just going to check so I'm not uh, getting names wrong here. Um, so, yeah, when he worked, 3CW had their world title very briefly. But, I mean, in this, while he was working there, he was facing guys like Rampage Brown, uh, you know, who's you know, got a hell of a reputation over here in terms of being a a good workhorse, a big heavyweight. Uh, Nathan Cruz, who, you know, I, I'm just going off on a tangent, he was a guy who was meant to have been signed for the very first championship tournament, failed as medical, and as a worker, he's he's very solid. I really wish, you know, things went differently for him because, you know, I'm not saying he's been main event here, but he'd been a, a good hand on these kind of shows. Um like going back to Rich Holland, like you no know, Nathan Cruz, Rampage Brown, um you know, Jern Sims if I was a uh, defiant. But he had uh, he was getting long matches in front of crowds which didn't give a toss about work rate. You know. He you know, he was getting he was getting long matches in front of crowds who didn't care what how good wrestling was. And that helped him. And then, you know, he, he gets signed, was it, uh, he dropped that 3CW belt May 2018, uh, finished up with Southside and other promotions, and then by the end of, of July 2018, he's doing the Largo Loop. And I think, if I remember rightly, in terms of TV, he got, like, two squash matches, Keith Lee, Matt Riddle, yeah. like, blinking, well, under his real name. Then he disappeared and then got the new character, and... 
to me, it's very easy to say, give him the Goldberg push. Because at some point, you need to go beyond the three minute squash. But, you know, this show ran, what's just shade over two hours? Two, two and a half hours, tight show. Two and a half, two and a half, hour, two and a half hours, five matches. Add another ten minutes on. Give him a squash match. Don't have him sat there at ringside. Because one, I mean, I looked on social media when he popped up. A number of people thought, is this guy real? What's a Rich Holland? <laughs> and it's like, you've got a couch like this. He looks different. People take the piss out of his name. Give him, you know, put him in the ring. Let them take the piss out of his name while he's having to kill a match. You know, do the Goldberg to start with. But instead, he's just random guy at ringside, you know, someone they plucked from the, the warehouse in Enfield. And, you no, know, let's be honest. Takeovers are the most watched, or at least the shows the most buzz. I guarantee for a lot of the people who watch Takeover tonight, you know, probably won't be watching you know, NXT UK for the foreseeable. So there's a big opportunity missed to you know, grab people's attention with ridiculous name or otherwise, give them a match quickly and out. Okay, you sacrifice Jackstar as well. That's what I was going to say, exactly. Throw him in there with little Jack Stars, who's a good little worker and will take a great beating. But again, it just felt like they have a template, they have the five five show matches, and yeah, I I don't know, it just, to me, it felt like this was very much template, cookie-cutter stuff. The the one big thing they had in the back pocket, okay, you can understand not wanting to, you know, blow your load early on him, but this is the biggest audience you're going to have for a while for this pro- uh, product. Put them in, put, no, two minute match, straight in, no, even just straight in, no, boot, maybe take a, no, chop or a few kicks from Jack Stars or whoever, no, destroy him that side slam, one, two, three, okay, right, what's next? Oh, we've got uh, Jordan Devlin, Tyler Bate, something like that, but, yeah, no, whatever it will be, will be, and, I mean, yeah, it's probably going to be, you know, TV in Hull next week. That's uh, so in York next week, which, if I remember rightly, he played rugby league for a team near there. Um, yeah, very briefly, one game for rugby league team in York in 2015. So there's no big connection there, but, you know, I would fully expect him to have the usual two matches on the tapings next weekend and be back on wondering, you know, if and when he does uh, not push high up the card. Yeah, so we will see what happens in the fallout. Uh, overall, though, yeah, good show. I liked that it ran in a nice, two, tight two and a half hours. Uh, I think in this, you know, we talk a lot in this era. A lot of shows go way too long for no reason. And if you go really long, you have to have a lot of great shit on those shows. Um, I thought we had a really strong women's title match I enjoyed. I thought the ladder match was pretty great. We had a kind of low-end match of the year contender with Bate and Devlin. And, uh... The only thing that really soured me on the show and held it back from being, I think, great overall was that main event. I just, it just didn't do it for me, you know? And I just, I, I just think you hurt Walter's presentation. I think that's, that's really bad when you actually have something special like that. I don't think the run-ins or anything added to the match at all. The The story didn't help the work at all. It just... It was there because it's the same lazy cliche booking WWE's done forever now at this point. Yeah, and again, no, it's it's the kind of thing we no. You had the Ilya and Alexander Wolf stuff that was blown off a couple of weeks back. 
did he need to go back to it again, even as a callback this soon? Uh, the only saving grace, you know, they had Walter and Ilya had a brief exchange. I hope that's a big match down the road. You know, those two have had absolute bangers of matches. You know, WXW progress plenty more times than WXW. Um, I mean, we talk about you no know, the big thing in Walter's matches in NXT UK. Obviously, is the chops. And what we'll say is those sounded absolutely sublime in that ballroom. Definitely. Uh, I've seen Walter and Ilya have matches where not a single chop's been thrown, and they've been five-star classics. So, you know, if you take you no know, fact that those two have that kind of chemistry where you take Walter's biggest asset away from him, and they still knock it out of the park, if they can build to that and still keep Walter somewhat special and not be no comic book cartoon goofy lead of the gang no that could i'm not saying this brands in Reneva toys no i like that that could be a match which you no know, opens a lot of eyes and gets a lot of the doubters and the critics back on board yeah and i uh i really hope that they do build to that match because it as you said they have a great history against each other and it would make sense coming out of this because he he beat Wolf recently, and then you did have the brief exchange in here, and hopefully that is the direction. Well, like I say, we'll have to see the thing for tape shown Wednesday, Thursday, will be the usual uh, post takeover recap stuff. Uh, two matches, which you no, know, I kind of want to see how they get Joe Connors beating a kid, just from a personal standpoint. Um, oh no. And Dave Mastiff uh, takes leave. It's, you know, they've had matches before, but that was obviously a long way in the past. And then, yeah, this time next weekend, we'll know roughly where, know what's being taped and what the rough direction will be. Big part of me, I will admit, just feels like it's going to be Imperium and Gallus. But one big thing to maybe throw span the works is they're taping stuff next week to air long after... Uh, Worlds Clyde has, has been a thing, so you no, know, maybe no, maybe the next set of tapes will be wheel spinning, or maybe we'll you no know, keep impeding away. I know we've done that in the past. Um, one thing we mentioned last time: the Elephant Room is obviously now NXT UK is on BT Sports in the UK. Um, you know the weird time slot where it's after the watershed, but they censor stuff, and I. Part of me thinks they need to do something to make that show kind of must see. No more than just the you know what we've had the last few weeks of an hour of matches and maybe one of them's good. Um, they need no. It's not a, a critical. We have to always take off the air, but you know you don't get you only get one chance at making a first impression. That kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe they um, maybe they'll bring in some of the NXT uh, US guys try to prop it up a little bit with that and we'll uh yeah i just i'm not sure fully sure where they go direction wise after this hopefully it's not more wheel spinning though but yeah like i say we shall see and i think you know can we still probably just be the two of us uh covering nxt uk every thursday night there you go so ian i want to thank you for popping on again and talking with me had a good time my friend uh likewise and say you know if I'm back any time, more than welcome coming back. And yeah, I think the next big shows for in well, next big show out of the UK and this going off on a tangent is uh Repro's High Stakes, I believe, in about a month. Uh which features La Parker, not the sorry, LA Park, not La Parker who passed away today. 
Um, although I think one of the referees of RevPro kind of fell off the whole... Um, I'm, I'm not going to name names because there's been so many people who've made this mistake, but uh, one of the RevPro officials tweeted about, so I knew he was going to come over to the UK for a European tour. It's like, he still is. You got the wrong uh, Leparka dude. Um, yeah, it's a sad end to a sad story. I mean, you know, it's been gifts of a, of a dive gone round. It was a sad sight. Um, yeah, rest in peace, quote, quote, fake Leparka. All right, so Ian, again, real quick, where can the people find your work, sir? So you can find my work over on backbodydrop.com. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going up there. Uh, I think to, this week, actually, we've got most of this week's actually written to go. Uh, so tomorrow, there's review of OTT's first show of the year up in Belfast. Uh, coming a bit, ironically, a feud of David Starr and Walter going back in the archives of that. And obviously back end of the week we've got the finale of the New Japan Fantastic Mania Lucha 2 which is a massive blind spot for me but um, hey, we, we slog through it that's right so again thank you buddy I appreciate it and uh, I will be carrying on after Ian leaves us and talking impact hard to kill alright as we carry on the first thing I want to do is I want to thank Ian Hamilton for his time again follow his work at backbodydrop.com Ian is a good friend of mine I always appreciate his time and talking to him and he's kind of my go to on the UK scene since he is over in that part of the world so I want to thank him and again you guys please uh, check out his stuff he does really great review work not that I want you to stop reading mine but obviously you know there are other people out there and Ian is one of the best so we're going to talk about some other things tonight. We have the Impact Hard to Kill pay-per-view. Impact's first pay-per-view of the company under Scott Demore and Don Callis have a really good track record of putting on good to great pay-per-views. And they were looking to start off 2020 in that way, uh, including uh, with the big Tessa Blanchard, Sammy Callahan main event. So, Hard to Kill took place down in Texas. We started off with an odd choice for an opener of Madman Fulton and Ken Shamrock. Uh, this match went 9.30 and Ken Shamrock ended up winning via submission. They did a gimmick to where he was attacking Fulton's shoulder and they played up on commentary that he popped his shoulder out. That he didn't want to keep attacking him, but... They had kind of a sloppy counter exchange at the end. Fulton hit a rough-looking powerbomb. Shamrock countered into a Rings of Saturn and got the submission. Um, It was rough. It had sloppy grappling as commentary was trying to sell Fulton as a former, I guess, All-American wrestler in high school, which he very well may have been. I'm not trying to downplay that. But it uh, it didn't play well. It had a really odd layout, and I felt it was the wrong winner because... 2020 and it's nice that Ken Shamrock pops in but I think Fulton has way more upside and I also didn't think it was exactly a good choice for the opener of a pay-per-view crowd wasn't into it that much it didn't have a great energy and the finish came off really flat so that was the opener Ken Shamrock winning commentary then talked about Rich Swan's ankle injury which he suffered at the Bash at the Brewery show which during the match looked like one of those little baby face things that took him out and that it was just a, a worked thing but he actually severely hurt his an- ankle which is never good we had our first championship match of the evening 
Ace Austin, the self-proclaimed Triple X Division Champion, defending against Trey of the Rascals. Uh, Ace Austin uh, defeated Trey at uh, just under 13 minutes via pin. I thought they worked really well together and they had a good match. But it was one of those matches that... You know when you're watching a great match and the action and drama kind of escalates towards the end? It never really got into that next gear. Um, I think they're capable of much better. Uh, I thought Ace Austin was clearly the better performer here. He's been really good during his Impact run. And uh, it's one of those things that he was really good in MLW, but MLW just never really used him well. He was just a guy. Uh, Impact has put some time into him. He's uh, developed well for them. He's delivered in the ring for them. His character is the uh, douchey guy trying to bang people's wives and moms. Is uh, I mean, it's fun in a douchebag heel way. And I think it's uh, they got some legs with Ace Austin. I, I like it. He's good. Um, so not a great match, but it was a good match. It picked up from the opener, and that was good. Uh, there was a little scuffle after the match as Ace tried to hit on Trey's mom, and they brawled. The Knockouts title match was next. And this was a match that I was unfortunately not looking forward to because I was very much looking forward to Taya versus Jordan Grace because they had built up a really good story of Tessa's or Taya's year-long run. Uh, she dominated at times but also escaped through shenanigans at other times. And they were really building up to the culmination of Jordan Grace, who was one of the people she lost to, Getting that redemption story and coming back to win the championship. Unfortunately, they did an angle on TV where ODB Ventaya and she was put into this match. Taya ended up retaining the championship at 12 minutes via pin. Um, unfortunately, I thought it was a bad match. It was very slavish to the kind of cliche triple threat formula where you do a lot of one-on-one -on -one while somebody takes a nap on the floor or lays in the corner. Uh, I thought that the work was largely sloppy and disjointed. Uh, ODB, God bless her, I'm sure she is a lovely woman. She really took away from the match for me. A lot of really rough spots, um, some sloppy stuff, a little bit of confusion here and there. It was um, subtraction by addition putting her into this match, unfortunately. So we'll see where they go from Taya. They're going to be taping TV, I think, next weekend in Mexico. And we'll see how much longer she holds the championship. There's a lot of people that are guessing uh, right away that she's going to leave soon and go to WWE because John Morrison signed there. Who knows if that's true or not. But, I mean, right now she is still the current reigning and defending champion of over a year. I like Taya. I think she's done a lot of really good work. But unfortunately, I think Impact kind of bit themselves in the ass with this match by adding ODB into it. Again, it's it's a nice story. I greatly appreciate that they wanted to help her out, give her some bookings. They ran to shows in New York to help her out financially after she lost her food truck. But not everybody that used to be a star and gets older can still be a star. Not everybody can get older and like work, for example, like a Kojima or a Nagata or a Negro Casas, as I saw on the Fantastica Mania tour. It's just not for everybody. Again, sure, she's a lovely woman, but unfortunately not good. We moved on to RVD versus Brian Cage. And this was weird. 
RVD attacked before the match as his girlfriend's girlfriend distracted Cage. Uh, and then RVD proceeded to essentially beat the shit out of him. He used some chairs, Van Daminator, did the coast-to-coast dropkick with the chair, busted Cage's mouth all open, and we got a doctor stoppage at 5.18. RVD essentially squashed Cage. And obviously, everybody's really confused. But then during the show, the news comes out shortly after this that Brian Cage is apparently done with Impact and is signed with AEW. So, okay, that's fine. If Cage is leaving and RVD is staying, RVD should win. But no offense to Brian Cage, don't do a fucking ref stoppage. If RVD's the guy staying, just have RVD pin him. It's not rocket science, it's a very simple thing. I have no ill will towards Brian Cage. If he's getting a good payday for AEW and he thinks that's a good move for he and his family, God bless him. But again, as a business, Impact has to think about themselves first. And if RVD is sticking around, just pin the guy. It's not hard. So they did an angle where Daga came out and he was confronting RVD about kicking the shit out of Cage. And that led to an impromptu match where RVD defeated Daga in like four minutes. It was okay for what it was the rvd push is slightly puzzling to me he's a fun douchebag heel but i am overall not super into it and part of that is because he's limited in the ring he plays the hits and the hits aren't even that good anymore it's like when you see an aging rock band on tour and they try to sing all the hits in the original key and they can't do it anymore Unlike, say, Led Zeppelin when they did their um, London concert that they released on DVD and um, CD and streaming, obviously, to where they changed the keys of a bunch of songs so everybody could sing fine. And it still sounded really great. So you have to kind of adapt to your time. Again, I think the character's really good. I don't know how much legs it'll have, but I mean, I enjoy the character. And he's completely unlikable as he claims everybody stole his moves and he has his... Uh, stripper-esque girlfriend dancing with him all through the match and to the ring and stuff like that. It's, it's a good act. I enjoy it. But again, I don't know how many legs it has in the, in the ring and how long it'll last. So that was a really rough stretch of the pay-per-view. The good news is things started to pick up as we had the battle for the Collier uh, title shot trophy with Michael Elgin and Eddie Edwards. This was a match that I think most people going into the show pegged as a match-of-the-night contender, if not the outright match-of-the-night. They had a really good match on Impact, which I thought was a little questionable. But um, they ran it again here on the pay-per-view, and Eddie Edwards finally defeated Michael Elgin. They went 20 minutes and 5 seconds via pin. Um, This was, to me, excuse me, I'm getting a little hoarse here. The first match on the show that had a real sense of urgency, urgency to it. It was a it was a really great hard-hitting match that you would expect from these guys. Really good near falls, good drama. Um, exactly what you would expect from these guys and the kind of match that the show really needed to help it turn around. Because some of the stuff before it was quite honestly just bad. And that's, you know, that's not what you're looking for on pay-per-view. Especially from a company that has established that they can consistently deliver on pay-per-view. So that led to Moose versus Rhino, and this was made into 
a no DQ match, I guess for reasons. They never really explained it. They just announced it was a no DQ match. Probably for the best because, as I've talked about, no matter how much Don Callis wants to hype up Rhino, he's not as good as he ever was. Stop telling me that. Um, Moose was actually wearing some cool Randy Savage tribute gear tonight. Um, and this was a, a big brawl for 12 minutes. You know, Moose won the match, which was obviously the right call. He looked really good in the match. It was solid, but a bit lethargic, which is what you're going to get from Rhino these days. But it wasn't bad. So I had no problem with it. I'm glad it wasn't bad because I was kind of fearing for the worst. But the uh, the stipulation helped it out. And um, can we move Moose on from the older guys now? Because he beat RBD, he beat Shamrock, he beat Rhino. That That's nice. That's great, but this is a guy that they have made into a kind of a big deal heel. He is a guy that they had designs on for a while to put the title on him. They held up during the Austin Aries title run. And, you know, it seems like he's just been spinning his wheels. I like heel Moose. I think he does a lot of really good things. I think he's greatly improved over the last year. So I just, um, I think you need to start moving on with him and give him something to bite into to really sink his teeth into because kind of just beating RVD, Shamrock, and Rhino while it, I guess, sounds good on paper because they have a name, isn't really doing much for him because it's not letting him shine in quality matches. The character's good, but there's nothing really behind it to get really invested in. And I think Moose is a guy that they can do a lot with. I know there are people kind of torn on Moose. A lot of people don't like him personally or whatever. I'm not really caring about that right now. I'm just talking about the wrestler. And I think he's done a lot of good work. And he's done his best with these guys who really can't go much anymore. So credit to him. Like I said, I thought he looked good here. This led to our tag team championship match. And it was officially announced that Rich Swan was not cleared to compete he was not allowed to go to ringside because they were afraid he would get involved and he was too hurt. So Willie Mack had to go it alone, couldn't even pick up a new partner. The North ended up defeating Willie Mack. They went 10 minutes and 40 seconds, and this was good. This was honestly good. Handicap matches can really suck sometimes because it's either just... You know, we'll use the time frame we got here, 1040. It's either nearly 11 minutes of the two guys beating the shit out of a guy, or it's <coughs> the one person getting way too much into where they become unbelievable, and then a lot of the time the people with the advantage lose. Kind of killing that whole handicap stipulation. But this was good. The North are a great tag team. They played up their heel role really well. They kept tagging in and out without doing anything to him at the beginning just to mock him because they were allowed to do tags because they had a partner. And I thought, honestly, they made the best of a really bad situation here. Rich Swan was injured. Ethan Page was sick suffering from Salmonella. But they ended up putting on a good match. Willie Mack got enough in. He put in a great babyface performance. And he lost like he should have to a superior tag team because it was two on one. The good news is, is that you can still go back and do the originally scheduled match down the line. And that match will probably be really good if not great because I was expecting it to be here. So I'll be really interested to see when, they run, when they're able to kind of run that um, original match back. 
But again, really good work by the North here. They're a great heel tag team. Good, good, good mechanics in the ring. Just good workers. Uh, some nice heel work in there. And again, Willie Mack, great babyface performance. Uh, they announced that in April, Impact will return to pay-per-view in New York City for the Rebellion pay-per-view. And that led to our World Championship match, Sammy Callahan defending against Tessa Blanchard. They went 23 minutes and 50 seconds. The good news is it did not feel overly long. And at the end of the day, Tessa Blanchard overcame, defeated Sammy Callahan via pin with the Buzzsaw DDT, and she is now the Impact World Champion. Now, going into the pay-per-view, there was a lot of speculation if Impact was still going to pull the trigger on her because of the stuff that came out on Twitter from years ago. Uh, And I think everybody knows that Tessa had a very checkered past. The reason she wasn't signed by WWE after the initial Mae Young Classic was because she reportedly had attitude issues. She showed attitude issues on the indies. She was disrespectful, allegedly, to people. And um, a lot of this came bubbling out before the pay-per-view. So a lot of people were like, are they still going to pull the trigger on her? Uh, she came out, she didn't get booed or anything tonight. I wouldn't say she got a thunderous reaction when she came out. She got a good reaction when she won. The crowd was definitely into the match. And overall, I thought they had a great main event. And I thought it was their best one-on-one match to date. They had two others that I thought were very good. But this one, I thought the drama and the overall moment took this one over the top of those previous matches thought the story was well done. It did come off like a big deal without them overly pushing it down your throat, which was nice. Um, But like any big moment, my worry, it's not so much worry, but my concern, I guess, is going to be how are they going to follow this up? Is Tessa going to get a quality run? Are they going to make something out of this? Because I think if we're all honest with ourselves, Tessa has been the biggest star and most over star for Impact in the last year or so. And so putting the title on her made sense in that aspect. Is she going to get a quality run? Is this going to be one of those things where she maybe gets one defense and loses? Is she going to lose right away? I I hope it's not one of those things. Because I think if you're going to pull the trigger and you're going to do it, I think you just have to run with it. Anthem owns Access TV, so you're not now worried about angering the network for quote-unquote intergender wrestling offending people. So they have that safety net. You might as well run with it. And the thing is, her contract is reportedly coming up soon. And if I'm Impact, and I talked about this for a long time back with Jeremy when we talked about LAX, I think you have to put your best foot forward as a company to make her feel valuable and try to keep her. Because she is a big star. And she's going to get big money offers from places like um, WWE, from AEW. I mean, Sinclair's throwing out big money. But if I'm Tessa, I don't even look at ROH because that's just a dumpster fire as far as women's wrestling goes. WWE is probably going to offer the most money. Um, but I mean... Is she going to get a, a big role? Is she going to go to have to go to NXT? Or is she going to be main roster bound? I think that will have to play into her decision. Also, what kind of money can Impact you know give her as well? AEW, she obviously would have a chance, I think, to walk in and be the centerpiece of that division. 
So she's going to have a lot of open doors for her and big decisions to make. But if I'm Impact, you made the decision, you run with it. I think you put your best foot forward, and I think you give her a quality run, play off of this, and then see where it goes. Because maybe it works really well. Maybe you actually draw some really big interest. And that's not the worst thing for this company. And I'm not trying to say that as, you know, in a downgrade type of thing or, you know, being rude. But I just think that, you know, they need to do everything they can to get as positive attention as they can to try to get good interest in. And this might be it. Who knows? Again, the online backlash didn't seem to bother the crowd. So that's fine. Uh, as far as the crowd goes, I don't know what the building holds. But by all accounts, it was an extremely strong crowd. I think technically a sellout. From the live reports I heard from people in the building, there were 30 to 50 empty seats. But the good news is they also apparently sold about 50 to 100 walk-up tickets. So when you add that into it, I think that's going to be a sellout for them. Again, I'm not sure how much the building holds. It's it's it's, you know, it's a smaller building. It's probably a one to 3,000 seat building. Uh, if they sold that out, that's great. That's good. I'm not one of those people that are going to be like, oh, it's a small building. Who gives a shit? No, if you sell tickets, you sell tickets. That's the name of the game. So hopefully they did a nice gate on it. Um, apparently they did really good at Bash the Brewery Show too. They had a pretty strong crowd for that. I think they set a sellout as well. Not sure about the Twitch show, but it looked like a good weekend overall in terms of ticket sales for the company, which is nice to hear. Uh, as for the overall pay-per-view, there was some good to great on this show. But I felt that Hard to Kill was the weakest pay-per-view of the Callus Moore regime. There was certainly two great matches. You had Tessa's big moment. And those things really helped the pay-per-view from being worse than it was because the beginning was really rough, if we're being honest. And I think we should be honest with ourselves because it's 2020 and there's so much good wrestling out there. And the RBD stuff, the women's title match, a lot of that stuff just not good and bad. So overall, the pay-per-view is far from bad, but not at the level of their previous pay-per-views. Um, and the company has kind of set a high standard for themselves. So, I mean, I think you should definitely catch Elgin versus Edwards and Tessa versus Sammy. And overall, I would call it a, a an average, slightly above average pay-per-view. And I think that that's okay. I mean, hopefully they rebound with Rebellion and get back to form. Because, again, I think Impact has kind of set a standard for themselves to where they have really been consistent and delivered good to great pay-per-views. And this one just felt a little short from that because, and that's just, that's kind of what you get when, honestly, no offense, you're booking an RVD and you add an ODB into a match that had a lot of potential. So those things hurt things, but overall, not a bad pay-per-view. I'm sure some people are going to be out there and they're going to be explaining to you that Impact is actually bad still and a bunch of bullshit like that. It's not the case. Definitely not a good or great show. It was solid. I expect them to do better in April. So, another thing I want to talk about before we close up shop for tonight. Marty Skrullgate. Now, Jeremy and I, if you guys remember, talked a lot about the future of Marty Skrull in ROH and ROH's kind of poor decisions not putting the title on him when they had a chance and he was the most over guy in the company and selling a ton of merchandise. 
And then you find out that they didn't put the title on him because they were afraid he'd leave when his contract was up. And then they put the title on Matt Taven, business tanked. And then his contract was technically up before Marty's was up. So none of that makes sense. So Marty's contract expired. He worked Final Battle, Final Battle Fallout, made the appearance at the NWA show. And there was a lot of speculation on Sinclair was going to offer him some big money with a lot of freedom to keep him. So the news came out this afternoon, Sunday afternoon, and you're probably listening Monday, so back on Sunday afternoon, according to PW Insider, full credit to them, because I always give credit, Marty Skrull signed a new deal with Ring of Honor. The sides have been working on the deal for a while. His original deal again expired in November, and by all reports, this looks like a two-year deal, and Dave Meltzer reports that this is apparently the most lucrative deal in ROH history. And it makes sense because Marty was a big free agent. He was selling merchandise. He's always over. Uh, Delirious remains with the company in a creative capacity, but Marty Skrull is now the head booker of ROH. So there were reports that if he signed, he was going to get all kind of perks and freedoms, and apparently that's one of them. And that's really interesting because Marty Skrull played a power position, and he's going to be able to work various places on top of ROH. He's going to be able to work with the NWA and stuff. He's the booker. He was involved in all aspects of the Atlanta show, which was a good show. Um, Marty and Villain Enterprises, his first act as booker, they dropped the six-man titles. And apparently the um, free show they're running on February 9th was also a Marty Skrull idea. So it appears that Skrull's new contract is going to allow him to continue working with the NWA. The NWA storyline bled over into the Atlanta show when Nick Aldis arrived and uh, attacked um, Villain Enterprises, and that led to Villain Enterprises being laid out by LaFaccione and Gobernable. And it's going to be interesting because they were definitely hyping a Marty Skrull-Nick Aldis rematch for the NWA title, which would be a rematch from the Crockett Cup. And that got the NWA some buzz. ROH and NWA were working together, and then they ended their agreement because NWA was going to be starting the um, Power Series. And now with Marty in this position of power, it looks as though the relationship is back on. And certainly it's a shot in the arm for ROH because nobody can die, deny they had a, a really rough 2019. Um, attendance was down. The company's overall profile, I would safely say, was at an all-time low. And that's not good because you look back and you know they had the elite and all those guys... And that, <clears throat> excuse me, led to them in uh, New Japan selling out the garden. <coughs> Sorry about that, guys. So they had all that buzz. They were doing record attendance, and then it, it tanked in 2019. I have no idea if Marty's going to end up being a really good booker. But the one thing I do know is they needed to oust Delirious in the worst way. It was 10 years of mediocrity and staleness with Delirious at the helm. The guy didn't make one star as a booker. And he blew several opportunities, title changes at the wrong times, questionable pushes for various people. And I've been on the train for a long time that he needed to be out of power. 
So I think on the surface, it's a good move because you need somebody fresh in there. Will Marty be a big success? I can't answer that. I don't know. I hope so for ROH's sake. But I fully respect Marty Scurll for playing from a position of power, seemingly getting everything he wants. And it's going to be interesting going forward. But here's the really interesting thing to me. To me, it feels like the best move as a booker at some point is going to be putting the title on Marty Skrull. But does Marty Skrull put the title on Marty Skrull now that he's the booker? Because as we look back in history and you look back at like WCW and Kevin Nash having the book, it doesn't always work out well and it can sometimes send a bad message. Um, from everything I've heard from uh, people in the know, uh, people were very excited about the Marty Skrull, um deal and him uh, getting creative power. I think Marty has a lot of supporters and a lot of fans in that company. So maybe there won't be a backlash from the, the guys in the locker room. Um, whether fan backlash happens or not, I can't answer that, but we don't know. It's a really interesting time. ROH has locked up, a, a, you know, Bandito, Fumita. Um, Shane Taylor is still going to be working with the company, which I'm very happy about. So, again, the cupboard is far from bare in ROH. <clears throat> they have a lot of work to do to undo the damage that was done in 2019. I enjoyed their first show of 2019, the Center Stage show. I'm going to be reviewing the, uh, the Charlotte show here uh, very soon. But I think that they're, they're off to a positive start going into 2020. You have a new booker. You have some freshness. You have some good people locked in. But again, I just want to caution everybody that turnaround is not going to happen overnight. There is no way in the world that they can just, in a month or two, be back on track and be back to where they were when the Elite and Cody and all those guys were still around. It's going to take a lot of work. You're going to have to win back fan support. And it's kind of fitting that I'm talking about this because I just talked about Impact, which has been a company that's been working really hard to largely erase the memory. I for Mostly erase the memory of TNA as a whole almost. And I don't mean that in because obviously they talk about the good parts, but they want people to forget Dixie Carter, the Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff stuff. The things that really alienated those fans that were very loyal to that product. They're working hard on it. They're trying. Impact has a lot of good people. So we'll see what happens with these companies going on to 2020. I hope the best for them. I like a lot of what they do. I like a ton of the people on the roster. And I just want really good wrestling overall because that's um, that's my job. That's what I do every day. So that's going to wrap us up for tonight. I want to thank everybody for listening to tonight's show. I want to thank Ian Hamilton again. And this is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You guys can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show. Share us around on social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you guys are on. Leave us a five-star review on the podcasting platform of your choice. Hit that subscribe on YouTube. I want to go to the pay window someday with this. It would be greatly appreciated. I thank you guys for all your support. December was a really great month for us, and that's only possible because you guys have been so extremely supportive. 
Uh, Wednesday night, I will have somebody on the show um, filling in for Jeremy, who, as we uh, talked about the other day, is no longer a full-time contributor on the show. Going to do some other things, spend some time with his wife. But uh, we will have some other people popping in from time to time. So until then, have a great week, everybody, and happy wrestling.